Well, as you sit, uh, let me encourage you uh, to do two things. One would be to take up your Bible again and uh, the, turn back to the passage that uh, Simon read a little bit earlier for us, uh, page uh, 1117 in the Church Bibles. It's Acts chapter 20. We're looking at this chapter all day long. Uh, and then the other thing you could do, if you like these things, is to uh, uh, seek out the, um, the handout that's been tucked into the, uh, to the service order so that you'll see where we're going uh, in the next uh, wee while. The church in this nation is in in desperate need. Uh, Listen to the words of Henry Arombi, the Archbishop of Uganda. He uh, said these words speaking at the opening of the All Africa Bishops Conference in Entebbe in August this year. And he had just been on a tour of England. So he said these words at the All Africa Bishops Conference in Entebbe. We must send missionaries to Europe to take back the gospel to these sending nations. It is an ailing church in need of guidance. Henry Arombi had just been to England. He talked about Europe, but I'm sure he had England in his mind. The church in England is in need of help, he says, as he looks on. Oh, we know that, don't we? Church buildings are being turned into carpet warehouses. Many of those that remain are sparsely populated. Now, the average Anglican church congregation in Sheffield Diocese is about 60 people on a Sunday. But if you take out the large churches that considerably inflate that average figure, you'll find most churches have well under 50 in their congregation. Yet Sheffield is the fifth largest city in England and has a population of half a million people. The numerical decline of the church is matched by, and may I suggest indeed caused by, the doctrinal decline of the church. Many, of, uh, many people in this congregation have told me, and it's certainly my experience, and maybe it's yours too, that when they go away on holiday, they cannot find a Bible-believing church to go to. Do you find that? You go away on holiday, go to church on Sunday. Uh, people tell me that they find that the gospel is being compromised by the leaders of our churches. Uh, with tolerance being the watchword in our nation, church leaders seem reluctant, scared even, to preach anything that might offend It seems that leaders have lost confidence in the word of God. The uniqueness of Christ is not preached. The authority of the Bible is not taught. As Henry Arombi visited England, he saw a a deep spiritual problem. He saw an ailing church in need of guidance. A church which had cut itself off from its moorings. A church which no longer had the Bible as her rule. And so a church where the prevailing culture drives the direction. Something needs to change if there is to be a living church in this land in the generations to come. And so on this vision setting Sunday, allow me to remind you of our plan to plant a church every two years for the next 20 years and then to pray that those churches will themselves become church planting churches so that in 20 years... Every church we have planted, we trust 10 churches. If they then plant a church, there would be 20 Bible-believing churches in this city, another 20 Bible-believing churches in this city, and five years after that, if they all plant again, another 40. And so in 35 or 40 years' time, within uh, within the lifetime of some of us, we could see 150, 200 new churches in this city. That's our vision, to plant a church every two years for the next 20 years. And to fulfil that vision, we need to train leaders. Leaders who can lead those churches. Where else will they come from? 
And so we need dozens of faithful, godly Christian leaders who are committed to the glory of God, who are equipped to teach the scriptures, confident in the scriptures, people who are passionate for the lost. We plan then to to plant churches, to train leaders, and of course to grow forward. This part of the city is our primary mission field. We want to see more people coming to know the Lord here in forward. But we also want to grow spiritually so that we would, we would know God better. It's thrilling, isn't it, when you get to know God better. And of course we need to keep on growing forward so that many would go on these church plants and indeed be those leaders of the future. Now that's the vision that we laid out this time last year. And if you're new to forward or if you miss last year or you even indeed want a refresher of last year to see that all laid out, we've got DVDs uh, of that over in the church centre. Uh, David Middleton will be there uh, uh, handing those out if you'd like one uh, to go away with today. But that's the the vision that we laid out this time last year. And in this uh, last year, it's been thrilling to see that vision just beginning to come to fruition. Not least of all in the development of Christchurch Encliffe, planted in September 2009, just over a year ago, with, with 48 adults. Only last week... Ed Pennington told me they had 107 adults at their service. They've more than doubled in size in a year. Isn't that thrilling? They've doubled. We've seen more people come back. I don't know exactly what the figures are, but the chances are we're about the same size as we were before they left. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was speaking to Tim Davis, the senior pastor of Christchurch Central, uh, planted from here seven years ago with 50 adults. Now, seven years on, having grown to over 250 adults, they are ready to plant again. And they've just appointed someone in the last week or so to lead their next church plant. It is thrilling to see the first tender green shoots of our vision sprouting up. Be confident in this. Preaching the word of God builds the church and we'll see that from this Bible passage in just a moment. Well, there's my first point under the introduction. England an ailing church. But we want to change that where we can here in Sheffield. And to change that, we want to be driven by a Bible approach to church and church planting. And so finally, we get to Acts chapter 20 and to Paul in Ephesus and to what I've called on the handout, uh, Ephesus, a model ministry. Acts chapter 20, page 1117. As we turn to uh, this passage, here is the Apostle Paul's final speech to the elders of the church in Ephesus where Paul lays out for the Ephesian church leaders a model of ministry to follow. I found um, uh, this uh, little commentary on the book of Acts extremely helpful. It's called Teaching Acts by uh, David Cook. Now listen to these excellent words of David Cook. In fact, I I put them on the handout so that you can follow along because it's quite a long quote. And he's talking about um, Paul speaking to the, the elders of the church in Ephesus. He says this, this is the only speech in Acts given to an exclusively Christian audience. Paul reminds the elders of what what they already know, the main features of his three-year ministry with them at Ephesus. The reason that he reviews and rehearses his ministry amongst them was so that they could duplicate such a ministry after he was gone. His ministry was the model for the elders and it is the model for all ministry which claims to be apostolic today. You see, as Paul addresses the Ephesian elders, look at the language he uses. Remember, he's trying to tell them, uh, look what I did so that you can do the same. And look at the language uh, that he uses. Verse 18. He says, uh, 
you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. Verse 20, same expression. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. Verse 31, he says, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you. And verse 34, you you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Uh, Paul, you see, is reminding them of his ministry so that they can duplicate it as he is about to go off somewhere else. So as we look at Acts 20, we see how we should be doing ministry today. As we study Acts 20, we see how the church will grow today. And in Acts 20, we see how the church will be protected from error today. Now before we look at the details of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, remember this was in the context of a church planting ministry. Paul, that was his main task, to plant churches all over Europe and Asia Minor. And so to the first main point of the sermon outline, planting churches. Look at verse 31. It's very easy to skip over this. Look at verse 31. Paul says, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, night and day with tears. Three years. Paul spent three years in Ephesus planting and and establishing this church. It's very easy to miss that, isn't it? Three years. You can sit down and read the Acts of the Apostles in a couple of hours. And in that time you'll read of, of Paul on three missionary journeys, planting churches in vast areas of Europe and Asia Minor. A quick read of Acts and it all seems so instant, so immediate. Bang, bang, bang. But Paul stayed for three years in Ephesus. Uh, Turn back with me, if you will, to chapter 19 and verse 8 and you'll see uh, when Paul first arrived what he set about to do. Chapter 19 and verse 8, Paul first arriving in Ephesus. Paul entered the synagogue. Of course, uh, some of you will know he did that whenever he went to any new city. He went to the synagogue first. Chapter 19, verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Paul then spending three months preaching in the synagogue until he wasn't welcome anymore. And then, you see, we read verse 9, some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years. Again, it's easy to gloss over it, isn't it? But let it sink in. Daily, for two years, Paul lectured in the hall of Tyrannus. He'd been kicked out of the synagogue, so he went to the marketplace. Now the point is this, church planting takes time. There is no quick fix, no silver bullet. To plant and establish a church is not an instant thing. Took Paul all his energies to do it. Now Tim Davis from Christ Church Central told me the other day how, how hard the last seven years leading a church plant has been for him. It's not quick and it's not easy establishing church plants. Look again at the opposition that Paul had before we go back to chapter 20. Stay in chapter 19. He preached in the synagogue and what do we see in chapter 19 verse 9? People refused to believe and publicly maligned Christianity. Paul had real opposition. Well he had it throughout his ministry didn't he? As uh, those of you who've uh, read his letters will know. But turn over to chapter 20 and you'll see what he says in, in verse 23. As we go back to our chapter, chapter 20, I'll read from verse 22. 
He's talking to the elders and he says, Now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. As Paul went to every new city to preach the gospel and plant a church, he didn't ask, what are the hotels like here? He asked, what are the prisons like here? That's where he expected to end up. And the two churches that we planted in the last years, neither Tim Davis nor Ed Pennington have ended up in prison yet. But uh, let me tell you, both have experienced considerable opposition and usually it's from religious people. It is tough planting churches but there are half a million people in this city and England has an ailing church in need of guidance in the words of Henry Arombi and so we must do what we can with the resources we have. We must do our best to complete the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace and when we're refused an opportunity to proclaim the kingdom of God as Paul was then like Paul we'll move from the established religious centres and go into the public square. Church planting then, it's not quick and it's not easy, but it is crucial and so we're committed to keep doing it. A second note that a significant aspect of Paul's planting strategy was was to train leaders. You'll see that heading uh, over the page uh, on the handout, training leaders. You see here in Acts chapter 20 verse 17, we see Paul gathering together the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus. It's what he's doing in this Uh, section of Acts 20. Uh, As we've already seen, he reminded them of his ministry so that they could now duplicate that ministry. As he went on to Jerusalem, they would duplicate that ministry in Ephesus. And you see, Paul uh, left the church in the hands of trained leaders, people that he himself had trained. And as he speaks of his ministry, he is reminding them of their ministry once he's left them. So so we see here what Paul did, what he emphasises that he did. And so verse 20, uh, we read, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly from house to house. In verse 21, he says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. At the end of verse 24, he talks about uh, testifying, testifying to the gospel of God's grace. In verse 25, we read that he preached the kingdom. Uh, In verse 27, he tells us he proclaimed the whole will of God. You you see the language there? Preaching, teaching, proclaiming, declaring. That was Paul's method. And the content of his message? Now we'll look at verse 21. He says that that everybody should turn to God in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. At the end of verse 24, he testified to the gospel of God's grace. Verse 25, he preached the kingdom. And in verse 27, he proclaimed the whole will of God. Do you see how this is working? Paul's ministry was about preaching and teaching the word of God. And now, here in Acts 20, he's reminding the elders that that's what he did so that they will do the same. Because that's the way the church grows. So do you see, a significant part of Paul's church planting strategy was to train leaders to be able to themselves correctly handle the word of truth so that when he went on, they would carry on doing that. And that again is what, in our own little way, we're trying to do here at Forward. It's what the ministry trainee scheme is about. We've heard about it on the screen. On Wednesday, I asked one of our new trainees how he was getting on. And he said, I'm loving being immersed in the Bible. 
I look at our trainees uh, rather wistfully, actually. I, I often think that I would have loved to have had the training that, that, that they get before I went off to theological training uh, to do this job. I would have been, I believe, so much better equipped had I had what they have. Well, we're trying to train people to handle or write the word of God. And let me uh, encourage you to be excited about the trainee scheme. Many of our trainees have gone on to be leaders in God's church. So we want to train more trainees. And many of them have gone on to be leaders in the church here. Many of them mission partners all over the world. This is much more than just about influencing Sheffield. Uh, The tremendous financial response to last year's vision setting day enabled the PCC to appoint Ben Cooper, as we heard on the screen, and he's uh, developing the trainee programme, and already we're seeing the fruit of of, of such a a great appointment. In addition to our trainee programme, we've been thrilled to be able to, to fund people through theological college. And again, as you saw on the screen earlier in the service, as a result of the tremendous response to last year's vision setting day, we're now supporting two families through college having set up a training fund. And it all comes off the back of this, you see. Paul trained people to handle the word of God rightly. That is a pattern of ministry that we need to follow. Because the church grows through the preaching of the word. And that leads us to our, to our third point, growing the church. But we might actually say growing and protecting the church, as you'll see in a moment. You see, as Paul said goodbye to the Ephesian elders, he he warned them of one great danger. Look at verse 28. He says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you, night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see it there, the the Ephesian church was in danger of false teaching from wolves. And the, the church is always in danger of false teaching. The great reformer John Calvin said, it is the perpetual fate of the church to be infested by wolves. Now note verse 29, these wolves come from outside into the church and verse 30, they will even arise from within the congregation. Isn't that striking? The great apostle Paul has spent the last three years training this church. Imagine being under his ministry. What a a privilege. Yet he says, verse 30, some from among you will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away after them. Even a church that has been well taught, rooted and grounded in the word of God, even a church like, like this is in danger of wolves. And these wolves, make no bones about it, will destroy the church. Verse 29, they are described as savage. They will destroy the flock. Don't, of course, for that reason, think they're easy to spot. Remember, Jesus gave the same warning. But as he warned of the wolves, he said they would come in sheep's clothing. They'll look like the real thing. They'll seem very nice people. They always do. But do not be fooled. They are ferocious, said Jesus. And what is it that makes them so dangerous? Look at verse 30. They distort the truth. 
And you might think, is that it? I thought, ferocious wolves, they're going to be far more scary than that. Is that it? They're going to distort the truth? doesn't seem so bad, does it? Don't be fooled. They ruin the flock by distorting the truth. Churches are wrecked by leaders who will not teach the truth of the Bible. It's not a neutral thing. It's not even just a little bad thing. It, it wrecks churches. And Jesus, you see, is the way, the truth and the life. If you turn away from the truth, you turn away from Jesus. And it is the truth, Jesus, who alone brings you to the Father. Please feel it. It is devastating and catastrophic when the truth is not taught. And out of what, that is why training leaders is so crucial. Here's why training leaders to correctly handle the word of truth is so vital. Because it is in teaching the truth that the church grows and it is in teaching the truth that the church is kept from this great danger, the danger of wolves. Which is why Paul says in verse 32, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Which I don't think is two things. I don't think it's a, I commit you to God, he'll look after you and then, oh, you can also have the word of his grace if you like. No, the way God keeps us is through the word of his grace. And you see what it says there in verse 32, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. The church is built up through the word of his grace. Forward will grow as we teach the word of grace. The churches we plant will grow, have been growing as they teach the word of grace. And so leaders must be taught to teach the word of grace. Again, here is why training leaders is so important. May I say this? One of the, the, uh, the team helped me to think this through a bit earlier on, in the, earlier on in the week. Putting an emphasis on training leaders is not about setting apart an elite. Training leaders is how we care for people. See, training leaders is how the flock are protected from these ravenous wolves. Uh, just uh, look at uh, verse 28. It's an amazing verse. It tells us that God paid a huge price for us, his church, for you. Do you see it there, verse 28? He paid with his own blood to buy his flock. God paying with his own blood to buy his flock. It's an astonishing comment. That's how much it costs to buy the church. That's why no one else can buy the church. The only, the only uh, the, you know, if there was a transfer fee, it would be the blood of God. And if you haven't got that, you can't do it. Only God has it, so only he can do it. So his church, it's how much it cost him. He paid a huge price for you, so you may feel like a little sheep, but be sure you matter hugely. He paid with his blood. And now the way God protects you, who matter so much to him, is to put shepherds in place, leaders who remain faithful to the word of God, because they will protect you and me from wolves. It is no coincidence then as the church in this land has lost confidence in the word of God so the church has been ravaged by wolves. False teachers abound in the church in this nation and the numbers in our churches decline. This nation has, in the words of Henry Arombi, an ailing church in need of guidance. The guidance of the word of God. We have all the guidance we need but we won't turn to it. That's why we need to plant churches. That's why we need to train leaders. And let's not have any smug self-confidence here, by the way. 
Uh, Chris Green wrote this uh, excellent little commentary on Acts. It's called The Word of His Grace. And, um, and I love uh, this quote from page 163. Again, I put it on the handout because I think it's so helpful and it's long, so you'll be able to stay with it. He says, please don't get bored with Christian teaching. He's um, speaking as a preacher uh, to people who perhaps aren't preachers. Please don't get bored with Christian teaching. Blame us when we are dull or irrelevant or or difficult to understand or not speaking to real life issues. But please don't ever think we have a good Bible teaching ministry here. We are safe from wolves now. Because that's what the wolves want you to think. You are never safe from wolves. That is why a church's small groups and children's groups and nurture groups and preaching must always study the Bible because the moment I teach something that isn't in the Bible, I too become a wolf. And those of you who teach in the small groups or the children's groups or wherever, you need to take this to heart too. You, like me, are a potential wolf. The safety lies in continuing to teach one another. Shall we agree to do that? Paul warned this church and so the church in Ephesus stands as a great warning to us. And as we draw to a close now, can I uh, remind you that a few years after Paul spoke these words to the elders of the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote a letter to the church. We have it in our Bibles, the book of Ephesians. There's no need to turn it up, but let me tell you how it ends. It ends like this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24, the very last words that Paul wrote to the, to the Ephesian church. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Uh, many of you will know, some 20 or 30 years later, the Lord Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus through the Apostle John. We find that letter in Revelation chapter 2. The risen Lord Jesus, the exalted Lord Jesus, writes to the church in Ephesus. And Jesus commended them for their hard work, for their orthodoxy, for their patient suffering. But he says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. What were the last words of Paul? Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. What does Jesus say? You've forsaken your first love. And he warns them that if they don't repent, they will be removed as a church. And today the city of Ephesus lies in ruins, surrounded by minarets and mullahs. And I want to ask, why should that not happen to us here at Fullwood? Why should that not happen to the city of Sheffield? How desperate to think that our future generations would have nowhere to hear the gospel. My children, uh, and if they have children, my grandchildren and their children. What is to say that they will not have a faithful gospel witness in Sheffield, in, in Britain? Please don't think that this is scaremongering. Only last week I was speaking to a fine and faithful Christian minister. He was telling me of a large university city in England where he cannot identify a faithful Jesus-honouring, gospel-proclaiming, Bible-driven church. Twenty years ago, there used to be good churches in that city. Now, Christians who live in that city are not being taught the word of God and unbelievers have nowhere to go to hear the true gospel of Christ. The wolves have moved in. The wolves have taken over. And so, in verse 32, Paul committed the church to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. That's how churches grow. 
with the word of God being taught faithfully by faithful men who've been taught to teach the Bible faithfully. The church in this land is ailing and in need of guidance. This great city of Sheffield, half a million people, the vast majority of whom are not Christians, need the Lord. We do need to do all we can to take the gospel to them. And that's why our vision is as it is, for the next 20 years to plant churches, to train leaders and to build forward. And on this vision setting day, many of you will be wanting to be part of that vision. Some of you will be saying, I want to go on the next church plant. I I want to be part of changing the city in that way. Fantastic. Speak to David Middleton. Uh, Today or, or in the next few days. Some of you will be saying, I think I ought to consider leadership in God's church. I've I've, I've thought about it before, but I've never got around to it. Well, will you speak to to Ben Cooper or to Andrew Rees here and talk about our trainee programme? Let me tell you, the trainee programme is not just for for recent graduates. And you might be saying, well, I don't think I could do that. I've got a family to support. Let's start the conversation. We'll do whatever we can, if this is right for you, to get you on that programme, to get you in leadership, if it's right for you. I trust most of us will be saying, yeah, I want forward to grow. I'm going to be committed to bringing my friends to forward. I am committed to the word of God being taught here. I'm going to support that. I'm going to do it where I can. But primarily today, and unashamedly today, we're saying to everyone who considers themselves a part of this church family, we're saying, will you consider giving financially so this vision can be realised? Once a year, we're going to mention money. And that's it. And today's that day. And so we're saying, those of you who already give, will you, uh, will you review your giving? Just as Paul said to us earlier, over the next three weeks, will you review your giving? And those of you who don't give, will you consider giving something to us? And as you do, despite all I've said, I think verse 28 is our motivation. Again, that amazing, amazing thought. God bought the church with his own blood. God paid the ultimate price for the church. Look at the cross. Look at the Lord Jesus dying. And you'll see that the church is infinitely precious to God. That's how much it was worth to him. And that will give us all the motivation we need to give whatever we need to give. And so today and over these next three weeks, will you go away and take deliberate steps to review your giving? Talk about it as a couple if you're married. Think about it on your own and with your small group. It might be that you can't give any more. It might be you need to review down. All of that is fine. But as we've written in this little booklet, you know, if 600 people of us, if the 600 of us that give at the moment raise our giving by just £2.50 a week, about the, uh, about the cost of a cup of coffee, isn't it? If we all raise our giving by just £2.50 a week, that would result in a staggering £78,000 annually being given. It's amazing what a little can do. And that would help us to do much more in our vision to influence this city and wider afield as we raise up uh, 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 leaders for the mission field. And we trust extending God's kingdom. And we really do hope all to his praise and glory. Well, we're going to turn to pray now.